0: I want to look at Acts chapter 3 with you if we could. It's not a new thought. This is um, was brought back to me actually last week by somebody in our church who said to my wife and I that we were most unusual couple, which we knew, of course. <laughs> but we asked what particular aspect of our relationship was unusual and the lady said it was because we continually had a relationship, that we'd been married a long while, and that was most unusual. Well, if you're going to be married a while, um, I think one of the things you have to do is compromise, don't you? Not compromise with standards or whatever, but you do have to compromise with attitudes. And my wife and I, right from the word go, made some compromises. For instance, she agreed that I could have as many second-hand theological books as I wanted, and I agreed she could have as many second-hand clothes as she wanted. (laughs) You're laughing, but if you know my wife, you'll know that's absolutely true. We're going to a wedding weekend after next, a very swish wedding, and she's got an ensemble together that is brilliant, and it's cost her £12. I want to look at this passage because it's while I was in a second-hand bookshop, that this thought came to me. This is a lovely passage. For instance, there isn't a person in Ipswich, I imagine, who doesn't have a stereo, is there? But how many people in Ipswich would know that stereo is a Greek word? And how many people in Ipswich would know that stereo is a Greek word that's in the New Testament? And how many in this church would know that stereo is a Greek word that comes once in the New Testament and it's in this passage? And how many would know which one it was? Well, we often think of stereo, don't we, as being two, rather than mono, which is one. We think of stereo two, but it's not. The word stereo in Greek means strong. This man's feet and ankles were made strong. Stereo. There it is. There's an opening gambit for you. And if you want to go further with somebody, tell them that did they know that television is in the New Testament as well? You remember when Jesus laid a man who was blind and he put some ointment on his eyes and he asked him whether he could see and he said, well, he can, but he could see men like trees walking and he touched his eyes again and then he saw television. That's the Greek word, television. He could see a long way, which is what television means. There you are, that's worth your entrance money on its own, isn't it? (laughs) However, we're looking at Acts 3 and I was in the second-hand bookshop and I opened a book and it opened at a study of Acts 3. And the heading at the top said, The Two Cripples of Acts 3. I thought I knew Acts 3 fairly well, so I closed the book and bought it and determined I would find out who they both were before I had to read the book being of a strange mind. I bought the book, took it away, and I started looking at the book. Now, if you look at this, obviously the first person who is disabled is obvious, he's in verse 2, he's called there just a man, we don't know his name, and that he was disabled or crippled from birth. And in fact, the Greek word is very pronounced because it's from his mother's womb. In other words, in our enlightened times, she may well have had a scan and he may not have survived. Here, right from his mother's womb, he'd been crippled. There are two other things we know about him specifically. One in chapter 4, that he was over 40. And the other is that he was a Jew. Because he couldn't have sat where he was sitting, at the Gate Beautiful, unless he was a Jew. And later he went into the temple, and you could only do that as a Jew. The other thing which is relevant about this man is that every single day he had to be carried and had to beg. How many people do you know who every day have to be carried and have to beg? They may not be sitting in an an alcove somewhere, but every day there are people in our society and probably people in our families who every day have to be carried by somebody, by the doctor, by a psychologist, a psychiatrist, by care people, or others in the family have to carry people and they have to beg. That's what we know about this man. Who was the other cripple? Took me a while, took me a while, but I got there in the end. You see, it was obvious that the other cripple was the Jewish faith. The Jewish faith could no more have come out of the temple and touched that man and healed him than he could get into the temple. They were equally crippled. They were both incapacitated. And yet if you looked at the Jewish faith, you'd have said, hang on a minute, this Jewish faith's not crippled. Look at the building they've got. It's enormous. Quarter of a mile square, a thousand masons who'd been priests, trained, so they could keep it holy, to be built, stone overlaid with gold, and teeming with people. How many people came to the Passover at the time of Christ? Three million people. Here's a building that's extraordinary. And here it's teeming with people, and yet it's dead. It had no power. It couldn't get out and touch anybody, and change their lives. It doesn't depend upon the size of your building, or how many people you have. The key is, how effective are you in reaching people? Those people who are daily, having to be carried. On one occasion, Thomas Aquinas, who was a very famous Roman Catholic theologian, was invited, I was going to say to the Kremlin, I mean to the Vatican, and when he got there, he was ushered into a large room and, and to see Pope Innocent II, most aptly named. And there, all that was in this room was a ginormous great table piled high with money. And after a while, he realised that money was moving. And he looked round the back, and there was the Pope counting this money. And the Pope comes round and says to Thomas, Oh, Thomas, glad to see you here. And then, being a biblical man, he said, no longer can it be said, gold and silver, have we none. And Thomas said, no, and neither can we say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The word beautiful comes three times in the New Testament. This particular word. The gate beautiful, which was covered in Corinthian bronze, took 20 people to move each door when it had to be opened. This was a magnificent entrance to the temple. But where are the other two occasions where beautiful comes? Well, I'll give you one of them, because you wouldn't get this, I don't think. It comes in Matthew 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones. If you could have described the temple better, that's it. It was full of dead men's bones. I was in America on one occasion preaching, and uh, I was staying with some folk, they're lovely folk, and uh, they said, would you like to come and see our church? Yes, certainly. And uh, they took me in their car up to see their church. It was a Baptist church, therefore I feel at liberty to say this. There was a long drive leading up to the church and then there were the massive gothic pillars, which they must have seen somewhere. Massive I went round the back of this building, past the church. Glorious. And all these buildings round the back, halls and whatever and the rooms were numbered and the first room I saw had got 300 and something over it. Wow. I went into the main auditorium and it was like a theatre. It was like Fit all round with pop up seats, and the front was different from this. <laughs> um, not only was the organ, and they had a chief musician, and they had a sister, they had a oh, choir areas, and oh, wonderful, wonderful. And above all of that, up there where the organ is, there was the baptistry. It was a glass fish tank up there, so nobody had to crane their neck, they could all see the baptisms. And I thought, this is wonderful. (laughs) Compare this with lots of our churches. Wow. Not only that, this particular church, it was a Southern Baptist church, um, was fairly top of the league tables. They had league tables in the Southern Baptist where depending on your number attending the services or number in Sunday school or your offering, you go up or down in the charts. I don't know whether you get relegated if you get low, but that's what you do and they were fairly near the top. They were really taking in the money, lots of people, everything happening. Impressive. Then somebody says, all the ministers here, would you like to meet him? Yeah, fine. Yes. So I met him. He invited me into his study, which was a misnomer. He didn't have any books. But he had trophies, shields, all these things around the walls. And I said, this is wonderful. What do you have to do spiritually to get one of these? I haven't even got a fish badge. <laughs> oh, this is the baseball team. This is the basketball team. This is the volunteer team. It went around. Marvellous. Great. Really good. And then he said, um, would you like to come out for a meal? I said, If you're with a Baptist minister in America for more than 10 minutes, you're invited for a meal. He said, have you ever eaten a Mexican? I said, probably without knowing it. (laughs) We went to this Mexican restaurant. He took his team with him. There was his assistant minister and his youth minister and all the others. And it was a large table. And while we're sitting around this large table, after he'd ordered, he turned to me and he said in a loud voice, do you know what my real ambition in life is? He said it's to be a millionaire. I want to be a millionaire. He said there are people in my church with bigger cars and bigger yachts and bigger houses. That's what I'm asking the Lord for. And then he said, Would you preach for me on Sunday? I said to him, Normally I would have to pray about that, but on this occasion I will accept immediately. If you'd have looked at all our human criteria about buildings and people and money, you would have said that was a live church. I'm telling you, it was dead. It was crippled. It couldn't have touched anybody. When did the Jewish faith die? You might say, well, a long while, it hadn't, God hadn't spoken to them at all there had been nothing that God had said to them, but they had carried on. But when was the moment when finally God said enough? When were they finally crippled? Well, you'd say it was on the cross, wasn't it? When Jesus died, what happened was the veil of the temple was cut from top to bottom, wasn't it? God's indictment of what they were doing, right from top to bottom. Now, in my ignorance, when I first read that or thought about it, I imagined that one of the cleaners had been in there in the morning and had a look at this and seen it had gone overnight and said, Oh, did you see that something's happened to the curtain? Until you realise when it happened. When did it happen? Three o'clock in the afternoon. Did you notice in Acts 3 when they went up to the temple? Three o'clock in the afternoon. Why? Because that was the hour of prayer. And what was happening? Right up against the curtain was the table of incense. And there were two priests ministering on behalf of the whole nation, offering up prayers. And as they were doing that, wham, the curtain went. How fast did they come out of there? Are they still running? And what did the Jewish faith do? It sewed up the curtain and carried on. That's what it did. God can speak to us, and if we carry on without listening to what he's saying to us, then we're in difficulty. We may get bigger, we may get more of what the world considers success, but if we don't listen, we become crippled, so we can't touch people. I, I took a camp of young people down to Cornwall every year, down to St. Ives, and we used to stay in a hostel next door to a big Methodist church, and each year when we went down there, we used to be involved with the church. The church had 904 seats. They were numbered. John Wesley had preached in the church a number of times. We didn't, on this one occasion we went down there, take anybody to play the piano for us. So we asked the church, could they lend us, please, a pianist? And they lent us a lady in her 80s. In fact, they had to carry her in. (laughs) Now, you know with young people, it's not really the tune, it's the speed at which it goes which is crucial. And she was usually at least one verse behind but she was lovely. She really was lovely. In fact, the young people really took her as a mascot and used to carry her home on a beer every night back up to her place. They loved her. But after three days, it suddenly occurred to me, I was really going after these young people fairly directly. And there was this lady sitting there, and I wondered what she was making of this. Finally, she said to me, Do you think I could have a word with you? I've had these conversations before. And never pleasant. She said, Would you come with me into the church? Yes. We went down to the front of the church, and on the wall was a plaque. It said that 150 years before, an evangelist had come to the church to do 10 day mission. When he got there, he asked where they were going to counsel all the people who were going to be converted. This hadn't occurred to the church, surprisingly. He asked what was through the door, through the wall there. They said a hole. He said, would you knock a hole in the wall tonight and put a door in and we'll start the mission tomorrow? They did. What deacons? It said, during the next 10 days, 150 people were converted. And the lady turned to me, she said, you know God used to be in our church. Isn't that terrible? When did they miss it? When did they stop listening? When did they stop acting? If we turn back to Acts 3, what to me is remarkable here is the disciples keep going to a crippled church, don't they? Over and over again, they're told, go into the temple courts, preach the word, go in and teach the faith. They were kept to go into what was, they knew, a crippled environment. When did they stop? When was the moment they didn't go anymore? Well, if you look at it, it's in Acts 6, and it's during the preaching of Stephen, where he says, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. God does not live in buildings made by men, and they killed him. This building is not holy in any way. You are. It's only those things inhabited by the Holy Spirit, people who are holy. They're the ones that are key. When the Holy Spirit came, he came and lived in individuals, When Peter and John came to this man, what did they say to him? Well, if you and I were meeting this man outside the gate, we'd probably say to him something like, well, I'll tell you what I think. Or, um, this is what I believe. Or if we're really adamant, this is what I know. How many of us would say to him, this is what I have, I give you? What do you have that you can give? I I preached in that church on on the Sunday in uh, America. It was one of those very, very special days. Very special days. At the end of the service, the whole church was in tears. And the two young leaders of the church, the assistant minister, the youth leader and his sister were lying at the front of the church, at the front, crying their eyes out. Out of these 300 odd rooms that we had, the only place I could find to take these guys, to counsel them, was the steps leading up to the baptistry. We lay on the stairs together, weeping for the church. I have to say to you one of those young men is now pastor of a church of 4000 in the states the other one is music group leader to a church of 6000 they have become special people they hated what they were in the danger is we be, we just go through the motions we play church when we've lost the edge to actually reach out and say what i have I give you in the name of Jesus. I'll finish with this. Um, One of the glories of being a Christian is that you meet some very special people, really special people. And one of the people who most impressed me was a missionary from San Salvador in South America. He'd been in the middle of a civil war, there were people dying in his church, being shot on the way to church. People often came in 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 blood-stained clothes just to get to church. But in the midst of that he'd seen revival. People were being converted right, left and centre. And so much so that this dear man was right at the end of his tether, he'd just worked himself nearly to death. So friends there paid for him to come out of San Salvador and have a break. And they sent him to the Billy Graham Evangelist Conference in Amsterdam for a refreshment. And he told me that when he got there and seeing all these Christians and, and all this ministry, he said, after two days, I was so full. I just, I just had to take it somewhere. I couldn't take any more on board. I would burst. He says, I, was, I, was, I went back to my hotel he said, I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm overflowing. Take me somewhere. I've got, to, I've got to share this. I've got to give it. Take me. And he said he was led by the Lord down to a main square in Amsterdam. And the Lord said to him, go and stand in the middle. Which may be logical to us. wasn't to him because there was nobody in the middle. Everybody was round the edge. He stood in the middle for a long while and he kept saying to the Lord, is this, is this the right place? Is this the right place? And the Lord assured him he was in the right place. Stay there. Then a young man starts to come across the square. The Lord says to him, this is your man, get him. He went up to him and he says, I'm here in the name of Jesus. Then the Lord said to him, and he didn't realise this was part of the deal, give him the contents of your wallet. He took his wallet out and he says, he's asked me to give you this. This young fellow this money and looked at him and then started to sob. He put his arms around him and said, tell me. He said, I came to Amsterdam last week. My bags, all my possessions were stolen. I was left with nothing. He said, I've had to beg on the streets. I've had to steal to stay alive. He said, I've just stood on the edge of that square and I said, if there's a God in this world, you send somebody to me. You will be amazed to learn that that young fellow was converted. What do you have that you can give? That's what the church is for. It's not for here, it's for there. That's where our ministry is. To those people who this week will have to be carried and are begging. And they need us to be able to share with them what we have from the Lord. What do you have? It'd be good to spend some minutes, wouldn't it, thinking about what do we have that we can give? Here's my very last thought. I always have a very last thought after a very last thought. I was up in Yorkshire on one occasion, and as you know, Yorkshire people are slightly different, they're quaint. And uh, there was a house group in this particular place, and uh, the house group leaders, led by the Spirit or not, decided that they, house group leaders, should give to each member of their house group a sum of money that they could afford to go and use for God's glory in some way. And one, I mean, several house group leaders wanted a transfer, Um, But some people, one one house group, they could only afford to give a pound to each of the house group people. And this one lady took it seriously. She took the pound and she took it seriously. She took it home, she put it on the sideboard, and she prayed about this pound. She prayed for ten days about the pound. What do I do with this pound for God's glory? She's washing up one morning, and God says to her, take some flowers round to, and gave her the name of somebody who she'd been at school with. She took the pound, she went down, she bought some flowers and added some of her own money to it, took it round to the house, rang the bell, and nothing happened for a long while. And then finally the door was opened and this lady she'd taken them to and her mother stood there in tears because at that very moment, They'd heard that the father had died in hospital. And she stood there with the flowers. And they said, How did you know? What I have, I give in the name of Jesus. Wouldn't it be lovely if this coming week we could give something to someone, something of the Lord? that really does change their life and leads them to accepting him. No longer crippled, but effective.